Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Hey, by the book listeners, Kristen here. Did you know that you can receive a weekly by the book affirmation mini-sode plus the rules of every book that we've lived by? It's easy. All you have to do is become a member of our Patreon community. To learn more, go to patreon.com slash listen to buy the book. Again, that's patreon.com slash listen to buy the book or just look at the episode description from today's show. The following podcast contains barnyard language and some adult content. So, maybe listen on headphones if you're at work or around small children. Now, here's the show. Hey, Jolenta. Yes, Kristen. It has been one week since we lived by You're Not Listening, and you know what that means. What? <laughs> I'm kidding. It was a You're Not Listening joke. I know what it means. It's time for another By the Book mini episode. That's right. It is time for another By the Book epilogue. And this week, we're looking at the aftermath of Living by Your Not Listening, What You're Missing, and Why It Matters by Kate Murphy. And oh, boy, did we get lots of mail from all of y'all. I know we say this every week lately, but yeah, I got to say, the mailbag has been bursting at the seams this season. The mailbag is hot, hot, hot. It's a hot potato of a mailbag. All right, Kristen, I want to start off like we usually do with feedback from some listeners who love You're Not Listening and who maybe voted for us to live by it. Yes. 
Sarah says, this book changed my life. The author provides so much insight and practical ways that you can change, if you want to, into being a better listener. I'm already noticing a big shift in my relationships and my quality of life. I'm actually reading it a second time just because it's so rich in insight and facts. I could not put it down, read it in one week. Wow. That's fantastic. You're a fast reader, Sarah. Uh, yes, that was the dense one. Yes. But the fact that it's changing your life, I'm so glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. As I was saying on the episode, I had some really wonderful, lovely interactions also. The book really encouraged me to slow down at points and to maybe take a different stance to how I have to converse. Like it's not my duty to converse necessarily. It, right. It can be very beneficial to just let those long gaps happen and then let other people fill it in sometimes. Not all the time necessarily, but sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. So Sarah, glad it worked for you as well. And uh, Zoe agreed. Zoe says, I have this book and have been meaning to finish it, and this episode is the inspiration I need. I bought it as I thought her experiences interviewing people could apply to my work as a user experience researcher. I often conduct interviews as part of the job, and I think I could learn some things. That's so interesting. Interviewing is so much listening. And a lot of people don't really think about that when it's part of their job. I know I haven't as someone who in the past has interviewed people. What a good connection to make. Yeah. yeah. Love that. And so much of what the author says she's doing in the book is interviewing people. So Totally. You're right. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. To get meta. Yes. <laughs> as a journalist, a lot of what she's doing isn't conversing. It is interviewing, which... It's kind of a different thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It involves more active listening, I'd say. Yeah. And we even heard from some listeners, Kristen, who plan on checking out the book after hearing our little episode. Jen says, the latest episode does make me want to read the book, but not necessarily because I think I could be a better listener or because I think the steps are groundbreaking, rather because I think I could stand to learn when other people are trying to be a good listener. I don't think I recognize or appreciate that enough. Oh, that is a good point, Jen. Wow. I love your take on this. It's a completely like reverse engineering sort of take on things where Totally. Yeah. Like, oh, maybe these people I think are just quiet and zoning out are actually doing very intentional listening. Or maybe the person doing this one thing that I would never personally do is showing interest in whatever they're doing. So yeah, that's a really great way to look at the book, Jen. I'm into it. I love your mm-hmm. perspective. Another thing we heard from listeners is uh, based on our episode, some of y'all out there feel that other people in your life could maybe benefit from this book. (laughs) Yes, yes. Give this book to everybody during your next holiday season. Leanne says, I have people in my life who cannot listen without chiming in with their solutions. It is maddening. It took me a really long time to figure out why talking to certain people never felt good while talking to others felt great. I finally realized it felt good to talk to people who looked me in the eye, nodded, and validated my feelings. It feels awful to open up to someone only to have them jump in to offer solutions when I'm not necessarily asking for them. Making this realization has in turn made me a better listener. Mm, I like it. I like it. 
and just figuring out what to look for in the people you want to talk to. Like, oh, this person's good at listening to me. Keep that in mind next time you have something you want to mull over. And now we know what good listening looks like. Yes. On a similar note, Kelly wrote in to say, it feels very dismissive and frustrating when I'm upset about something and people try to cheerlead. I think I'm pretty good about finding perspective, but I often first have to move through whatever negative feelings I have. I know that certain very important people in my life really aren't able to sit with my negative emotions, so I often don't share negative stuff with them until after I've already processed it alone. Kelly, that's a really good point on knowing what your friends are good for, too. Because some friends really are fantastic at just letting you get it all out as many times as you need to for as long as you need to. And some friends are not good at that. Some friends are not wanting to necessarily let you be down. It makes them sad when they hear that you're having a tough time and they want to cheer you up. And those friends are probably good for after you've moved through those negative moments in your life when you're coming out of the tunnel And uh, it's good to know who those friends are. And I like, Kelly, that you're recognizing that. Like, not every friend is good for every situation, and that's okay. Some friends are better for this or for that. Very, very true. But, Jolenta, we also have to talk about people who did not enjoy this book. People who who tried to read it, and it just didn't work for them. Yep. Madura says, I've read this book, and I must say that if someone was taking the you're not listening approach when talking— I would be too uncomfortable. I love it when I get to hold a meaningful two-way conversation with another person as opposed to them just quietly listening. And based on our episode, uh, others did agree. Lisa said, when I'm talking, I want others to jump in and relate. Tell me your experiences are sort of like mine. It makes me feel less alone. All that quiet listening and head nodding gives me the willies. I want back and forth, not a monologue. Mm, Bridget Mm -hmm. agrees. Bridget says, being on the receiving end of the listening style the author teaches makes me deeply uncomfortable unless Mm -hmm. I already feel incredibly safe with the person I'm speaking with. I tend to interpret this style of listening as disengagement or boredom on the side of the listener, probably because that's what it means when I respond in these ways. There's also something deeply unsettling to me when a conversation is one-sided, and that's what this style feels like to me as a receiver. As I typed this out, I think I'm coming down on the fact that not everyone is going to have the same preferences, and that's okay. Not everyone is meant to be a close friend or confidant either. I love it. It's true. Some people just might be a work friend. Some people might be a neighborhood friend. You don't need to confide your deepest, darkest secrets to them. Plus, they might be one of those people who nods creepily. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think what it comes down to is, Not everybody likes the same thing, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. There's no one great way to be listened to. Yes, yes. Some of us really do want a person to react this way. You know, some of us want people to react that way, you know, Mm -hmm. whether or not it's commiserating or whether it's just very silently staring at you, you know? Some people (laughs) want the silent stare. Some people really want the commiseration. We all want different things. And that's okay. That's okay. It's true. So go think about what you want. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear some more criticisms of the book and we're going to hear some feedback about how we lived by the book. So stick around. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland and discover a place that just feels lighter where every day feels like Saturday 
and French fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. We are back with listener comments about you're not listening, what you're missing, and why it matters by Kate Murphy. And now, Jolenta, let's hear some more feedback on the book. Yes, yes, yes. A lot of you felt like the book sounded ableist based on our episode. Marie said, While I am so relieved that hold eye contact was not part of the steps, as a maybe autistic person, I can hold eye contact or I can listen, but definitely not both. I still feel like the core message of the book was take less space, erase yourself. I know that there is a step about how to stop listening, but still, even the idea that I need to stop my hands from fidgeting is like, okay, I get what you mean, but I have ADHD, so nope. If I stop fidgeting, I also stop listening. And I've had so many terrible experiences being told that I was too much, people accusing me of not paying attention because my hands are busy, because I'm not behaving neurotypically. Mm. Very good point. Marie, you're reminding me of all the times in high school I get in trouble for doodling, and I'd be like, if I don't doodle in the corner of this piece of paper, I cannot listen to your damn lecture. <laughs> if only I would have known I had ADHD. <laughs> the more you know. Yeah, this book definitely is about like a sort of prescribed, like performative listening almost. And there is sort of a neurotypical basis to that performance and ableist bent to that performance of listening prescribed in the book. Yeah. And it's not just the ableism of neurotypical or not neurotypical. It goes beyond that. Joanna says, I just finished listening to the episode, and I want to thank Kristen for mentioning deaf and hard of hearing people. I have autosclerosis, which means the bones of my left ear fused together over the last decade. I only have about 15% of hearing left on that side. For a book about listening to minimize people like me is a big flaw and honestly, very ableist. Yeah, it was surprising that hearing loss wasn't addressed or wasn't talked about sort of like constructively. It was a disappointing part of the book. Yeah, I mean, people are listening if they're deaf or hard of hearing still. They're just not necessarily using their ears to listen. There are so many ways to mm, listen. Right. Have you heard of American Sign Language? Yeah. Have you heard of Korean Sign Language? Uh, have you heard Have you like, heard of facial expressions and gestures right, and, right. and emoting? The idea that the only way to listen is with our ears, the hyper-focus on ears mm -hmm, in this book. Mm -hmm. And like by watching, like by like looking a certain way <laughs> and like not moving your hands, perhaps. Like, yeah. It's like, well, some people need to move their hands if they're conversing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have they met my mom? <laughs> mm. 
<laughs> um, another interesting point that our listeners brought up was that a lot of you felt the book ignored the fact that we live in a misogynistic world. And we love talking about that fact here. We uh, sure do. <laughs> Elizabeth said, after listening to your episode on You're Not Listening, I am not inclined to read the book. It felt very ick for a self-help book, which we all know are predominantly marketed to and read by women, to tell its readers, i.e. mostly women, to be silent in the name of listening. In so many situations, men are the ones talking and women are the ones who have to be silenced for one patriarchy thing or another. I worry that this book could be a source of patriarchal confirmation bias for women that they shouldn't be talking. I know that one of the rules was to know when to stop listening. I don't think the author meant snoring, but that was funny, Kristen. <laughs> but as you discussed in the verdict, the book never told its readers, i.e. mostly women, to start talking. So many women, myself included, would benefit instead from a Kristen cheerleader encouraging us to speak up in a male dominant nominated arena book. Elizabeth, go ahead and speak up. I am mm -hmm. applauding you. You can do it, girl. Talk, 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 Thank talk. you for speaking up right here about this issue. And yes. Yes. I feel <laughs> like, you know, to put it bluntly in a society where straight white male is sort of at the top of the food chain, they should be the ones reading this book. Not to generalize, but I'm going to fully generalize. <laughs> but... This also just gets to real social science studies that have been done, mm -hmm. where men report in a meeting room if a woman talks even 30% of the time versus the men, she's categorized as somebody taking up too much space. Right. Meanwhile, men who do 70% of the talking categorize themselves as doing less than half the talking. So men, in study after study, have indicated that they think they talk way less than they do, and they get mad at women for talking less than half the time. So this has been documented in yep. so many studies. It's not just a case of, like, who's at the top of the food chain. It's how the people on the food chain are perceiving each other, totally. which is completely flawed. So, yep. yeah, Elizabeth, spawn. Uh, great. Now, some of you, a lot of you wrote in to say you felt the book wildly misrepresented introverts. Joanna said, Assuming everyone who's an introvert is quiet is ridiculous. So is the idea that introverts just need to get out of their own head, stop daydreaming, and pay attention to what's being said. All of this has zero to do with being introverted. I'm super introverted and very chatty with my friends. I also taught courses to large classes, did large-scale science experiments for kids, and now facilitate online training and events. I just need to be alone to recharge afterward. That's what introversion is about, not all that other stuff. I agree. <laughs> yeah. The book saying that, like, introverts are just completely preoccupied with their own neuroses or whatever it was saying, like, that's what introverts are? No, 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 no. It's what, Joanna, what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it giving you energy to be around people or is it draining your energy? It's not about, are you neurotic? It's a gross generalization. Yeah, yeah. And another interesting point our listeners had was that some of you felt the book overlooked cultural differences, which is super interesting. Laura said, I was a little taken aback by Kristen's characterization of herself as a nonstop motor mouth. 
I've been friends with her for over 15 years and consider her one of the best conversationalists I know. Yes, she's a talker, but she's the kind of talker who's great at a party, introducing herself to everyone in the room, connecting guests to each other, asking people lots of questions, and putting people at ease. That being said, I'm also an East Coast transplant from the Midwest, so maybe those things factor into how I perceive her conversational style. To me, this melds the best of Midwest politeness with East Coast assertiveness, but maybe people in other parts of the country or world would perceive her differently. Did the author even talk about these kinds of cultural or regional differences? They strike me as important in a book about communication. Yeah, very interesting. Laura, thank you so much for that. Kristen, do you know this Laura? I do. I have known her for over 15 years. Okay. But Laura, that is such a good point because I I will say myself from experience, I have been in some polite circles in the South where the way I word things might be too blunt. Mm -hmm. And I've been in other parts of the world where maybe I'm considered not speaking up enough or interrupting enough or in different cultures where it's considered the appropriate thing. Everyone talks really loud and talks over each other. And that's enthusiasm. That's not rudeness, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. And so, yeah, these cultural differences are very true. Yeah. We might be considered rude in this setting and polite in another setting, right? I'm considered rude in Orange County, where my partner Brad is from. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just because I like what what cracks me up is like we'll be walking behind people, they'll be walking like kind of slow and like five wide across a like sidewalk. And to get past them, I'll say, Excuse me. And they'll like act so startled, almost like I like pushed them and like sort of stare at me like, Whoa, what is she doing? <laughs> and I'm like, I literally said, Excuse me. And not even like my bitchy New York, excuse me, where it's like, Excuse me, like you're in my fucking way, but just like a cheery smile. And my voice, like, excuse me, while I like slip past, and they're like, ah, what a bitch. I'm like, wow, wow. The cultural difference is real. I actually confess that at certain points in my life, when people would say, excuse me to me, I thought they were being rude until I moved to the East Coast and I'm realizing, like, oh, that's what people say on the East Coast. In other parts of the world, people might say, sorry, sorry. Like in England, it's very Mm. common to just say sorry. And in other parts of the world, I've lived in, pardon me. So it's like, putting the onus on me, not telling you to excuse yourself. Like, pardon me, pardon me. But in New York, excuse me is what people say here. And I even got corrected by some people when I said pardon me when I first moved out here. Pardon me would weird me out more than excuse me. If someone was like, pardon me, I'd be like, oh, (laughs) yeah, it weirded some people. And I actually got yelled at for saying pardon me instead of excuse me. Oh, that's crazy. But I was like, that's another story. But yeah, that's another story. Laura brings up a super valid point. All right, shifting gears, some of you wish the book had more tips, not for listening better, but for dealing with people who are selfish, repetitive, or silent in conversations. This gets to something you were saying in the episode, Jolenta, where it's like, maybe I want to just learn how to converse better or how to get other people to listen more or whatnot. And many people wrote in asking the same question. For example, Diane says, so many of us have that one friend who does 90% of the talking when we're with them. This friend can be fun from time to time, but also completely exhausting. It sounds like this book doesn't acknowledge that many of us are on the receiving end of that friend, but instead assumes we, the reader, are this friend. Why is it on us to be a better listener with this kind of friend? And let's be real, this kind of friend will never pick up this book. Are you calling me exhausting? (laughs) 
I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, Diane, to me, this is similar to the, like, dudes should be reading this, maybe straight white ones, <laughs> of, like, the people who need this may not be picking it up. And it would be nice if a book about listening acknowledged a little bit more about the sort of dynamics involved in, like, listening fatigue and, like, wearing people out and, like, how to deal when you're on the receiving end, considering, like, the audience of this book are probably the people receiving it. Ross wrote in with something interesting. Ross says, I know my number one listening issue is that I do a decent job listening to new information, but if the speaker starts to get repetitive, I pretty quickly tune out because I don't need to hear the same thing two to five times. Oh, Ross, you don't want to talk to me then. I tend to repeat myself sometimes when I'm talking. (laughs) Maybe that's why you and I are so good at talking to each other, Jolenta. Maybe we have a similar style. Like, repeat, (laughs) roll with it. Repeat, roll with it. Yes. Emma has a different issue. She says, I have a friend who basically does not contribute to conversations, and I feel like I have to do all of the work. Plus, I never know her opinions on anything. I feel quite bad about that dynamic and don't know how to make it better. Oof. Somebody write a book for this situation. Yeah, I, Emma, I know the I situation. Mean, it sounds yeah. like your friend's a little withholding. Yeah, that can be a tough friendship. Which, it yeah, it's like, how do you get someone to open up and say, like, I'm here to listen? Yeah. That's a tough one. I don't know how. I don't Me either. Know. I don't know either, Emma. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to get into feedback for individual hosts, let's oh, say. Yes. <laughs> um, Because we got some feedback for you, Kristen, that I think we should read. Sasha wrote in to say, It blew my mind when Kristen said she talks a lot because she feels a responsibility to keep the conversation going. I frequently find myself in situations where the person I'm with goes on a several-hour-long monologue, and I sit and listen to all their problems and ask them questions because I assume they must really need to get this out even when some of it seems really weird and inconsequential. I take on other people's stress, and I lack coping skills, so this is always unhealthy for me. But what if they are just filling space? I don't tend to say much until I'm sure the other person is done and I'm not interrupting a thought. But if the other person is just trying to keep the conversation going, no wonder I never get to say anything. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a feedback loop. The snake is is. eating its own tail. (laughs) I got to say, though, monologuing, that's going too far. If you're talking with people who several hours stop for hours yeah not stopping for hours because like sometimes i do get in this dynamic with brad especially if like we're arguing a bit like he tends to shut down and i like sort of will just like vamp until he (laughs) pitches in or like i'm like he must still not understand what i'm saying so i'll try to explain it a different way and then a different way and i'm waiting for like oh okay that makes sense or something to sort of like cut me off but like yeah i don't know it's a tough, it's a tough call. Yeah. And I mean, as far as like me talking to fill in space, I think that something the book pointed out also that I did know of, but I guess I just never really thought a lot about was some people are long pausers and I forget to accommodate long pausers, you know? So I might say something and, you know, the person I'm talking to, they might just need a five to 10 second pause to process what I'm saying before saying anything next. And 
I feel like, oh, this is awkward. I have to keep this conversation going. I have to ask more questions. Mm -hmm. I have to tell another story. I have to make another observation about what's happening in this restaurant. And uh, it can be tough. And Sasha, if you're one of those people who needs those five to 10 second pauses, maybe you can actually convey that somehow. Maybe when somebody's talking and it sounds like they're coming to an end of a sentence, maybe you can just put a finger up or something or, you know, make a gesture or something. Ooh, I'm formulating a thought. Yes, something like that. I don't know. I'm not a communications expert, but I'm just saying that that would work for me personally. If I was with somebody who is a long pauser and they just held up their hand and said, I have a thought on that, I think I would shut up. She would be stunned into silence. Yes. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. But Jolenta, we also got feedback for you. Mm -hmm. Let's read this one. I love this one. It's from Jennifer. Jennifer says, my favorite moment of this episode was Jolenta saying to look for reasons not to worry. That was a serious mind shift for me. I tend to fixate on stuff, often things I have no control over. I'm writing that thought onto some post-it notes and putting them places to remind me. There's so many things I don't have to worry about. Such a simple concept, but it's totally life-changing for someone like me. Yep, that was some damn good advice from my therapist. Not necessarily the book. I think Jennifer (laughs) even went back in. This was on Facebook. I saw I think Jennifer even wrote later or someone did being like, funny that, of course, this advice comes from a real therapist and not the book. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you to my therapist who will not let me talk about her much or name her because she is a professional (laughs) person (laughs) and wants nothing to do with She's not a media star. She's a professional. And she would like it to stay that way. (laughs) But I agree. I think that is great advice. Look for reasons not to worry. I think the world and the media, the news industry, they cater in anxiety. They cater in worry. The advertising industry, like, are you to this? Are you to that? Buy this product. Tune in at 10 o'clock to see why your pillow can kill you. You know, all right. of these things. Like, but how they really, no, oh my kidding. God, this was an actual news story oh, in Minnesota sure. once. When I was back in Minnesota, I was sitting with my Nana when she was alive and it says, tune into the lunchtime newscast to find out why your pillow can kill you. And it was apparently something about toxic mold or something. But uh, my guess was like dust mites or some shit. But yeah. oh, yeah. I it's mean, always something it, <laughs> microscopic that you're like, really? Aw. Yeah, but it's like, I guess that will get you to tune in at noon to watch the news then if you are concerned about pillows or you have a pillow. I mean, True. it's a, I, ha- I have some. <laughs> our world likes to cater to worry. So, yeah, I, I love your therapist's advice to kind of go against the grain of what society tells us to do. And look yeah, for like we're good at worry. worrying. Let's look yeah. for reasons to not. Yes, 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 yes. All right, let's take another quick break. But. When we come back, we have some tips from our listeners about how people can listen better. And, of course, we're going to announce next week's book. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. 
Miracle Grow is simply the best. We are back. And now, a couple of you out there want to share your tips for better listening. We love these tips, so Mm -hmm. we're going to share them with everybody here. Kat says, I have a friend who, when we're having certain types of a conversation, will check in and ask what I need. Do you need to vent? Do you want advice? Before she chimes in with her own story, she'll ask if it would be helpful if she shares her own experience. It's lovely, like ongoing conversational consent. Obviously, this doesn't make sense for every kind of conversation, but it is very helpful and validating when looking for support. Oh, that is That's great. such a good tip. Literally ask. Yeah. I would say on the flip side of that, it's okay to also ask of our conversational partner, I need to get something off my chest. Mm-hmm. Will you be my sounding board so I can just vent for a little bit without jumping in with solutions. Is it okay if I do that? Right. You can like announce what your intent is or like, I need advice. Here's the situation. Or like, yeah. or I need cheerleading. Will you just yeah, cheer me up right now? I just now? need a boost. Like, tell <laughs> yes. me it'll be okay. Yes. After yes. I, and now I'm going to tell you this. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not just on other people to read our minds and know what we want. And we don't always have the look of cat with a friend who's like, do you yes. want advice or do you need someone to say that is fucked up and vent with you? Like, Yes, 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 yes. Casey has another bit of advice we like. Casey says, there's totally a healthy time and place for cheerleading and commiserating, but there's also a time and place to just let things be. For me and my partner, we use the term prickly when we don't want to talk or have support or commiseration or anything like that. I'm a little prickly now means please don't touch, please don't try to start a conversation. I need time and space. It's said in a loving way. I wish it were socially acceptable to do this outside of my relationship and with other people I love as well. Mm, yeah. I actually think it is socially acceptable. You like, can make that I rule. I tend to be like, I'm feeling like shit. I'm in a bad mood. I don't say <laughs> like, I don't say like sweet or like with a nice code word. But yeah. But yeah. I mean, I think we can do that with our friends too. It doesn't just have to be with our partners. I mean, Jolenta, like even today before our taping, the way we opened things is you said something that was not nice to yourself, but you're like, oh, I've been a real shit and this and this and this and da da da. You know, you kind of prefaced everything up front with the kind of conversational mood you were in today. And <laughs> and that was fine. It was okay for me to not have to guess it. You can do that with friends too, not just with your partners, yeah. right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And you've done it too, where you've been like, oh, there's been construction all day. Yes, like, I'm yes. so stressed. Like, it's like, yes, that's absolutely. good to know. Like, go easy on her. Yeah, or I might be a little distracted today because of my allergies. I'm sorry, I'm right. so foggy. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I will just announce to you and you'll announce to me. And so, yeah. Although I guess we are work wives, though, too. Right, that's true. Wait, we <laughs> so are partners. But like, yeah. but yeah, there are, there, people may not know your sort of like shorthand, but like there are ways to warn people and to sort of get them to like lower their expectations for a minute. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the lesson I'm taking away from all of these letters this week, Jolenta, is just that maybe we all just need to be better listeners or to be listened to better. We sometimes just need to say what we need. Just figure it out. And once we figure out what we need, relay that to those around us. Yeah, yeah. Knowing what you want, though, is the hard part, too. Oh, God, that can be tough. Uh, That can take decades to figure out. Jeez. There's no book for that yet. 
<laughs> I mean, all the books are for that, I guess, in some level. I, I, I'm digging my own grave. I'm getting too philosophical here. Let's just say uh, thank you to everyone who wrote in this week. <laughs> thank and you. Reminder: yes. We love hearing your thoughts, and a lot of these thoughts are popping at our Facebook group. It's facebook.com/group/btbpod. Fun community where you can share your thoughts and meet other listeners and talk about stuff. Yeah. And every once in a while, Jolenta and I chime in as well. So yeah, Mm -hmm. have fun. Go wild. Share your story there. And now, Jolenta, is that time when we announce next week's book? Our next book is... The Power of Ritual, Turning Everyday Activities into Soulful Practices by Casper Turkile. What about every other day activities? Mm, Is the power of ritual a superpower, like flying? Can we turn these activities into soulless practices if we aren't into being soulful? Mm, Listen next week to find out. And that's it for this mini episode of Buy the Book. Huge, huge thank you to our production team at Stitcher, Daisy Rosario, Chantal Holder, Corinne Wallace, and Marcus Hom. Thanks also to Nate Wida, he composed our theme song, and to the Rizzos, they performed the theme song. Please stay in touch. Let us know if you've lived by You're Not Listening. Also send us any questions or suggestions for future books for us to live by. Our email address is kristinandjolenta at gmail.com. You can also tweet us at Jolenta G and at Kristen Meinzer and at By the Book Pod. Note on Instagram. We also have an Instagram account. Mm-hmm. Our handle is also at By the Book Pod. And don't forget, rate us and review us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can just look down at your phone right now, probably, and hit like five stars and write like, it's a fun listen. Super easy. Helps people find the show. Helps us feel relevant in our own lives. You know, <laughs> until next time, I'm Jalenta Greenberg. I hear what you're saying. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Huh? I thanks mean, for listening. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Stitcher. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.